By now, I think most of the world knows what happened, or at least some of what happened in Israel. The terror group Hamas, the Iranian-backed terror group Hamas, in an unprovoked attack, destroyed the lives of, I don't know, a thousand or more Israelis. Literally, it shocked the world, shocked Israel, shocked the United States. And now uh, the Israelis are, have begun their counteroffensive. The American polit- politics being what it is, has begun to complain that, you know, Israel, Israel is trying to do too much or trying to, trying to hurt the Palestinians. Well, guess what? That's what happens in war when you attack people and destroy them and massacre women and children and take hostages like a, some kind of Comanche raid. And to talk about this is uh, none other than Charles Lipton, Professor Emeritus, University of Chicago, our friend, Jeff Carlin, and I consider him a friend. And Jeff Carlin, of course, the man who loves cats and someday will teach physics in a, in a high school of Chicago or somewhere in Illinois. And we're on the Chicago way. On WGN Plus. In a tower by the river, there lived a man. There was a man who took a stand. With pen and paper in his hand. Defeating foes in every ward. With a pen more mighty than the sword. No escape from his ink lasso. In a tower by the river. Castle. Here's how you get him. He pulls a knife, you pull a gun. He sends one of yours to the hospital, you send one of his to the morgue. That's the Chicago way. Okay, as we begin, so that we can encourage the others, I can't say it in French, but it should be in French, consider what Mr. Sullivan, Jake Sullivan, the NSC director for Biden, said the other day. Is we want to depressurize, de-escalate, and ultimately integrate the Middle East region. The war in Yemen is in its 19 month of truce. For now, the Iranian attacks against U.S. forces have stopped. Our presence in Iraq is stable. I emphasize for now because all of that can change. And the Middle East region is quieter today than it has been in two decades. Charles Lipson, what say you about this uh, commentary from Mr. Sullivan? I don't know if you've ever uh, experienced a hurricane, but there would be people who were standing in the middle of the eye of the hurricane, uh, as uh, Jake Sullivan unwittingly was, and say, boy, it certainly seems calm around here. And then they extrapolate that out for the next couple of hours, at which point they're blowing somewhere over Florida. Um, The... I want to call you, your uh, your attention to two points, actually, besides, you know, Sullivan's being a kind of apparatchik. Remember, Sullivan is the guy who put together the 51 intelligence officers mm-hmm. yeah. uh, condemning uh, the uh, Hunter Biden laptop as a possible Russian disinformation operation. He no has attention. all the earmarks. Right. <laughs> right. Pay no attention. And then Joe Biden, in a, in, a, um, in a debate, presidential debate, said, of course, it was Russian disinformation when all he had to do was ask his son. But um, 
But the fact is, Sullivan is a kind of apparatchik, right? Yes. Um, the, as the Soviets used to call him. I mean, he, he's not a, a great mind or anything. But his particular comments uh, tell us two things. One is obvious. It was a total intelligence failure. Now, the main intelligence failure belongs to Israel, which should have been concentrated on Gaza. And this involved big planning, lots of people. It's, it's amazing how it got, uh, how it got swept under the rug and not captured by Israeli intelligence. But U.S. intelligence, um, uh, should have picked it up from Iran. Iran is one of four great, um, state powers that are our enemies, Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea. And we should be devoting a lot of resources. And the fact that we miss that is an obvious point. But the second point may be less obvious. Remember, he was talking about an integrated Middle East. And I want to talk with you when we have a moment uh, about what that means and why it was such a fundamental misunderstanding by the Biden administration. Well, this is the same administration that has appeased uh, Iran, given Iran billions of dollars, paid for hostages, and is now stunned as if, oh, why did this happen? What, 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 why, yeah. aren't, why are there bad actors in the world? I, I don't know if he was, if Biden was carrying his own policy or was he just extending the failed policy of his predecessor, Barack Obama? But either way, well, it was uh, both. It was both. We, we cannot have naive thinking. It, it just doesn't work anymore. I just can't. But my my father, who has been seen a lot, is is older than all of us. He said to me the other day, "I I, I wish we had a different president in a time like this." And it kind of staggered me because my dad's always been kind of a centrist and a kind of I mean he's a, he's mm-hmm. more Democrat than conservative, but very even keel and, and understands the fluidity of of politics and, and policy. And when he said that. It struck me just never have I heard my dad say anything bad about a president, a sitting president ever in his life, other than, yeah, you know, I don't know if I would have voted for him. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and and this is what he says. You know, he's he's seen it all. You know, the guy is, is, is 73. He's been through plenty of war in, in his mm-hmm. life. And this stood out to him as a time where he feels that the leadership of this country is putting us in a bad place. And. Charles, your, your point about the the intel thing, I, I've got to believe that, you know, the, this political strife in Israel certainly allowed something like that to happen, much like a 9-11 in our country, you know, was a big political boondoggle. Well, the political strife in Israel also, uh, you're exactly right, uh, uh, Jeff, and the political strife in Israel may have also signaled to Iran that Israel wouldn't come together to fight it. Uh, which turned out not to be true. All Israel is united to fight this. Uh, there will be long-term consequences. Uh, people will hold Bibi Netanyahu and his administration responsible. But let me let me say something about appeasement since you mentioned it. Appeasement hasn't always been uh, a sort of nasty word, and there are uses for it. 
So if you and I have several issues that we're cooperating on, Jeff, and but a few that are uh, sort of problems between us, I might look to make concessions to you on those few problems, in effect, to appease you so we can move forward with cooperation. The problem is how your adversary perceives it. When it fails, as it has obviously this time uh, with the uh, Biden administration, uh, it not only gives the adversary more resources, uh, it signals weakness and a willingness to make even bigger concessions if if the uh, other side presses. And that's exactly uh, how they read it. They read the weakness and incompetence out of the Afghan withdrawal. They saw the United States preoccupied and confused uh, in um, Ukraine, and they saw a, a, a number of other problems. And then Iran clearly gave them the go, go ahead. And it's, it's also clear that Biden is just a man of awful judgment. Um, one of his predecessors, a Democrat, said that on all the major issues, actually it was a, a sort of centrist who's neither Democrat nor Republican, Gates. Yeah. Uh, Gates, who said that on all the major issues of our era, Biden, uh, foreign policy issues, Biden has made the wrong decision, yeah. and he continued to do it. The Afghan withdrawal, um, they only wanted to leave 2,500 uh, men there, and they would not have been out fighting. They would have been in in uh, barracks basically training people. Biden didn't want to do it. He wanted to celebrate our withdrawal, and he wanted to celebrate it on 9-11. I mean, he's just a man of exquisitely bad judgment, and uh, and he has shown uh, weakness. This uh, um, one. Let me go back to this integration point because that is really the essence of what we're doing here and the wrong policy. Um, the uh, policy. That the uh, Biden's policy is an extension of the Obama policy, and what integration means is kind of the Rodney King school of foreign policy. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah, you know, right. And um, what the Trump administration did, and mind you, I'm no big fan of Trump. Quite the contrary. Um, but what the the Trump administration. Uh, facilitated the so-called Abraham Accords. Now, the Saudis didn't participate in them, but those accords could have never gone forward without Saudi participation backing them for its client states, which made the agreement with Israel. Okay, mm-hmm. And what those were doing were making an alliance to contain, deter, and if necessary, defeat Iran. And um, and the the fact that the Saudi's oil facility was bombed during the Trump administration, and basically Donald Trump said, "Oh, that's a bad thing," but we didn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Essentially, pushed the Arab states to look for the strongest power in the region, which is Israel, to fit uh, as a ballast against Iran. The Biden administration scrapped all of that. They've been trying to make up and appease Iran. 
As they've done that, look at what the Saudis have done. They moved immediately to strengthen their relationship with China. Yeah. You know, they, they've they distanced themselves from the United States. Remember Biden, you know. Fist bump. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's been, it's been a mess. And uh, there are very few politicians who change course. Look at how long it's taken him to change course on the southern border, right? And even now, he, he wants to build another foot and a half of the wall <laughs> right. or something. I but, think that might be just a, a ruse to say to cover his butt with when the inevitable happens, which yeah. is all these foreign fighters are coming up the, in right. the United States. And, uh, you know, just like Israel had to deal with it, we're de- we're going to do the same. We're going to deal with the same way or similar, but now they're. Uh, I mean, I mean, I, I'm not. I shouldn't speculate, but uh, their military age and bad actors can you know create havoc. Anyway, Charles, we're speaking just to, in case you're joining us late. We're speaking to one of my friends and uh, the man I wish I <laughs> I had as a professor in school. Certainly, Charles Lipson. Professor Emeritus, University of Chicago, political science, the Peter B. Ritzma chair, spent many, many years in writing, lecturing, teaching, and uh, he's writing a commentary on the war now for The Spectator, Charles. So can you tell us about, just in general, how that's going to go? Well, what I wanted to say in that article the article won't appear for two weeks mostly on fast moving events like this you want to write for a website where it'll be out in an hour and a half Mm -hmm. but uh and that's what i thought i was initially going to do and then they said they wanted to publish it in the spectator magazine i was honored because it's such an uh, old and distinguished magazine published in london uh since the early 1800s the oldest such magazine in the world, I believe. But and you have the heft and the reach to do that. <laughs> Certainly. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And but the article doesn't come out for two weeks. And <laughs> as Yogi Berra once said, <laughs> hard to predict, especially about the future. So uh I what I want you know what John Cass once said, you can always write for me, buddy. Uh, <laughs> I got a turn a quick turnaround, but go on, Charles. Uh, so normally I do write for their website and some others, but uh, including Real Clear Politics. Yes. But uh, and I should say to your listeners that all of my articles are available at charleslipson dot com. There's no cost. But the um, I wanted to say two or three things. First of all, I didn't. I wanted to focus on the United States, but I wanted to do that without saying that the United States was responsible for this. Hamas is responsible, Iran's responsible, to the extent that there was an intelligence failure and a failure to deter uh, this. That's mainly, that's Israel's uh, responsibility, and it was their failure. But that doesn't mean that the United States didn't play uh, a role, and in this case, an unfortunate role. And uh, as I was saying earlier, I think part of the role was that we failed on intelligence. But I think the bigger failure is the basic idea behind uh, the Biden administration policy in the Middle East, which they, uh, uh, anybody in their right mind would now have to abandon, which was to try to, to, to think that the more money 
you gave Iran, the more likely they were to integrate themselves into a peaceful yeah. Middle East. That was fundamentally wrong. People have been telling uh, uh, the Obama administration and now the Biden administration it was wrong. And we could see that it was wrong because they were using their money to expand militarily to support terrorist groups and to try to become a regional hegemon that threatened all the powers, uh, all the states uh, and regimes around them. How the Biden administration uh, managed to miss that is is something that uh, that uh, historians will have to to answer. But uh, it's it's a it's a tragedy, and and what you're seeing in the war itself is the kind of terrorism fueled by a kind of deep-seated hatred of Jews that has just allowed them to go in, kill small children, kill kids at a, at a music concert, deliberately execute these people. These are not bystanders. This is not a glitch. This is the policy. That, Shooting uh, some, raping yeah. others in front of the dead bodies. I mean, it's... It's like something right out of the out of the Balkans in the Middle Ages. It's it's really it's, it's really yeah. My favorite statement about the Balkans is that they produce more history than they can consume locally. Oh, that they have to export it. <laughs> and uh I think that's really true about the the Middle East. So let me let me uh, go to a a related topic. Since I since this particular article won't come out for a couple of weeks, I decided to sort of sit down and write to myself, what were the uncertainties over the next couple of weeks? And I think that's something that um, you guys might be interested in and Absolutely. our listeners might be interested. I think the biggest uncertainty right now is whether Hezbollah, which is the terrorist group in southern Lebanon that actually does a lot to control the Lebanese government now. Uh, mm -hmm. th they were right on the border of Israel, Israel's northern border in, in southern Lebanon. And I think uh, the question is whether they will enter the war. That would divide Israel's uh, forces. They'll do probing attacks. They'll try to get people across the border. We've seen some of that too in the yeah, early days. Exactly. Right. But the question is whether they do something big. And if they try to do something big, Israel would use its air force, but they, they really couldn't use their army right now because the army is getting ready to invade uh, Gaza. And the reason they, they will invade Gaza is not to punish the population there. But they now recognize that they can no longer uh, have a kind of cold peace with Hamas. They will have to root it out, root and branch. Yes. And that is going to be bloody. And you can expect the European states to start to complain. They'll say, well, this is disproportionate force and so forth. But I mean, it's as if they never learned from the, uh, Stalin or the Nazis that you just have to to uh, to confront this stuff with steel. But they will complain and scream and whine, and they will parade the bodies of the dead uh, sure. in the war before the media. 
and Democratic actors, particularly I'm thinking of Talib and uh, the fool that pulled the fire alarm and just that whole crew. You know? <laughs> oh, that was a door opener. Yeah, right. Oh, my gosh. He's the guy, that guy used to be a principal. Come on. But all he but was, all, yeah, he was dumber than a box of rocks. But you know what they forget? Yeah, and I just I want to, with respect to them, because mm-hmm. they are public officials, even though they don't, they don't deserve it. Uh, I, I suggest that they read uh, the Bible. There's a part in it, Corinthians thirteen. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood uh-huh. as a child. I thought as a child. When I became a man, I put away childish, childish things. Corinthians thirteen eleven, King James version, of course. But I you know they would want to. They would want to know what when I became a man. They would want to know what his pronouns were. Yeah, you know <laughs> that my would pro- be their you know, response. You know what my pronouns are. <laughs> I, if Jeff is Jeff ready with the, <laughs> my pronouns are fuck you. That's my pronoun. But here's the thing, in in that uh, childish attitude toward real politics and the global politics is uh, disconcerting because people get killed, like listening to Jake Sullivan and Joe Biden, people get killed. This is such an important point that that you're making. and it, I think it's a problem. I sometimes notice it myself. I've always said to friends that in some ways, I, my one of my defects as an analyst of international politics is that I'm an American through and through. And as an American, uh, A, I'm optimistic. And, and B, I live in such a big country with a lot of security uh, provided by the Atlantic and the Pacific and having basically neighbor, uh, certainly to the North, less so to the South that don't pose uh, real threats. And that's just not the world that you live in. If you live in Israel, Um, you have, and it's important to understand it. It actually brings us to another of the uncertainties going forward, and that is this could spread to the West Bank, which would be a kind of diffuse uh, uprising because, of course, Hamas would like to take over from the PLO and the PLA, the Palestinian Authority and Fatah and those people. Uh, By the way, the Biden administration started funneling a lot of money to those people at the very beginning of the administration. And we now know that they had memoranda that said that if this money went in, a fair amount of it would go to terrorism. And the, uh, and the Biden administration, filled with his good judgment, decided, uh, just ignore that. We'll take that risk. Well, of course, the risk wasn't for them. The risk was for everybody else, and uh, now it's come home uh, to bite them. So I, I just I think that the big question when when the Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, that occurred in the middle of the Jimmy Carter administration, 
And we think of Reagan as really turning around American policy toward the Soviet Union, and he certainly did. But the U.S. buildup and its reversal of policy actually began under Jimmy Carter. In the middle of his administration, he turned as soon as they invaded. I don't know that Joe Biden is awake enough to do it, and he doesn't have the people around him to do it. No, I'm sorry, and I don't mean to be glib on this, but I just find him to be an old man who's, you know, how many how many drugs can you take where you're a sentient being for a few hours a day? I mean, he, we need a president. We need a, a leader, and we don't have Did you hear, uh, I was listening to uh, the deposed Speaker of the House talk about it. He was very good. Uh, Matt Gates, if there's a prize for morons, what he did, what he did is just lunacy. But I listened uh, to former Speaker Kevin McCarthy this morning, and he spoke like a president would. He absolutely nailed big issues. He did it in a calm, thoughtful way, but firm. It was just what you expect. It all reminded me. Uh, I wasn't at Columbia University in New York uh, in the 60s when there were riots, but the president then was Grayson Kirk, uh, you know, another of those faceless figures that had so many of our institutions. And uh, the, the line was, this could never have happened if Grayson Kirk were alive. Uh. <laughs> and I keep thinking that, that we've kind of got a weekend at Bernie's presidency. Yeah. And yeah, we need, right. you know, think about, think about uh, a different issue, which is like aid to Ukraine. We've spent a lot of money there. I favor it. But this is the sort of thing that the president of the United States sitting in the Oval Office should have spoken long ago to the American people and said, here's why we're spending it. Here's why it's worth your tax money. Uh, Here's what we're not going to do. He should have made that case, but he can't do it. One of the fascinating bits about politics in the crisis is that everyone with an ax to grind comes with, you know, to, to grind that axe and sharpen it. So we have uh, the neoconservatives led by Nikki Haley coming in t- to push Ukraine uh, aid that the American people, I don't think, really want to tie it to Israel, funding for Israel, which the American people do want. Uh, everyone's working on their own politics. And I, I, I remember what happened in many years ago now when, uh, when we began our series of adventures in the Middle East to remake the Middle East and the United States image and basically broke it, destroyed it. And I promised myself then, Charles, that I would not be stampeded by another another thing and i see it happening and i'm i'm trying to avoid it how best to pull back and avoid the problems that we cause for ourselves and the world by well that's a, that's Iraq. a it's a difficult uh issue 
and, and especially, I mean, you know, f- for a number of years, it was the shadow of Vietnam hanging yeah. over, and then now it's been the shadow of the failed second Iraq war. But it's also the case that um, you have to ask yourself, if we didn't give aid uh, to Ukraine, of course, we don't have soldiers there fighting and so forth, but if we didn't give aid to Ukraine, would we face even bigger problems after Russia won that war, which it, it would do and may still do? Uh, and by the way, uh, this brings me to another uncertainty surrounding the current uh, war in Israel, which is uh, I just returned from Taiwan. Oh, And uh, my main advice to them was to move their island further offshore. (laughs) I mean, uh, I I, I was treated the way I I really deserve to be treated. The former president sat next to me all day, and on the other side of me was the the, uh, just-retired head of the Navy. So I really felt like I gave some talks, but I really felt like I... I talked to a number of senior people there about their security struggles. Yeah. And um, China, um, uh, the, the most difficult uh, operation uh, a military can undertake is, is what we undertook on D-Day, which is an amphibious landing against okay. uh, uh, another well-entrenched power. And, uh, you know, China uh, will have to really think hard about that, but, and especially because they haven't fought a war in a long time and, mm-hmm. and they've never done an amphibious landing. We got a little bit of experience doing that in North Africa and then even in Italy, but in World War II. But, uh, but this is a moment where the U.S. doesn't have any spare bandwidth right. to deal with problems in the Taiwan Straits. Right. So there, this will be a time you can expect America's enemies to try to to take advantage, especially of a weak uh, administration that's that's now overstretched and sort of doesn't have the depth to deal with it. Uh, uh, it, we face a world of troubles, and uh, and my sense is that the Biden administration doesn't have good tactics, doesn't have good strategy, which is what to do toward Iran or whatever, and doesn't have a grand strategy. You could see their grand strategy for the Middle East is now in shreds. So they've got to figure out what they're going to do next. But Israel needs a strategy, and they'll develop one. You know, there are people who are now demanding heads on spikes and blood in the streets, and I understand the impulse, and I'm I'm the last one to say, uh, Israel cease fire because I'm not going to. I don't believe in it. And uh, cease fire. The administration said it and had to withdraw Man. it. They did. They deleted the tweet. Well, yeah. no, but uh, I mean, you know, uh, actually, the State Department right. said it. And no, I know, but that was the, the hubbub about it. They're you know jumping out in front of themselves, and then oh, that's, it, it that's shows they, how much of a of a disarray it is. That's why they should. Have had uh, Charles Lipson and my brother Nicholas running the State <laughs> Department. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I thought you were my friend. <laughs> so Charles, what are the other or 
give give us some more of the list of uncertainties. Well, there are quite a few, of course, uh, but it seems to me that the main thing is whether or not the war will expand, and it's to um, to Iran's interest to expand it to uh, to dilute uh, the focus that Israel can place on Gaza. I think the other, uh, the next question is what what Israel will do to Iran, and my hunch is that they will do things such as blowing up um, uh, oil refineries and the, and the like, but they, they won't do that until they've dealt with Hamas. And Hamas, dealing with Hamas is going to be, you know, door-to-door fighting because they really have to root out the whole organization. You sometimes hear that uh, Gaza was occupied, but Gaza was not occupied. All Israeli troops withdrew from Gaza well over a decade ago. Um, And at that point, Hamas seized power uh, from the Palestinian Authority the uh, the Abbas group that's uh, that's uh, governs the West Bank. Uh, at that point, they began a you know a concerted anti-Israel uh, campaign that has lasted until now. But there are no Israelis in there. They've uh, and in fact they smashed everything um, that belonged to Israel in in that area and they've made this bed for themselves because of their uh, extreme islamicist uh approach now we don't know um how uh, the rest of the world will react to a prolonged uh to a prolonged uh israeli presence in gaza trying to root them out we don't know how israel will try will figure out how to uh, govern in Gaza in the West Bank, uh, the Palestinian Authority governs uh, with a kind of cold peace with the Israelis, and they're supported, uh, including their terror. You know, they pay uh, terrorists, uh, and they pay the families of terrorists after they've killed uh, Israelis. Well, Hamas, uh, yeah, Iran. Not yes, just, yeah, not just Iran. Iran. This is European money that yeah. comes in into the West Bank to pay them. Uh, and so we don't know if the, uh, uh, if the uh, Biden administration will change uh, their policy. We don't know. Uh, whether or not other problems will break out uh, are around uh, the world as people take advantage of the fact that America is preoccupied. So there are quite a lot of uh, uncertainties uh, as this moves forward. I think over the medium run, this will be extremely hard for any government, uh, a Netanyahu government, to uh, survive, but that won't happen while the war is ongoing. That's all I can say is, give you a some, Lord have mercy, mm-hmm. because there are going to be people killed. They have been killed, and more will die. That's what happens. And we'll, destroyed. That is exactly right, and uh, 
And I received a letter from a friend in uh, Jerusalem today mm-hmm. who shares your last name, John, Leon right. Cass. Is it is he Leon Cass? Leon Cass is a very uh, distinguished yeah. political philosopher, and right. he is the head of a school now, he, for many years at the University of Chicago, head of a right. school in Jerusalem, and he was writing me that he had just buried one of his students who was killed by terrorists okay. today. And and he was writing in response to the fact that uh, the University of Chicago's de- uh, dean of students had put out one of those anodyne statements. You know, we sympathize with everybody over the violence, and boy, isn't this terrible. But, I yeah. mean, you know, these people just can't condemn terrorism lest it somehow irritate people. But that's what this is. Uh, well, Charles, I'm sure your list is going to be good. We can see that in a couple of weeks uh, in the the print version of The Spectator. Right. And I'll have things out between now and then because it's hard to shut me up. <laughs> we well, would never, never. want to do that. And I recommend <laughs> that everyone go to charleslipson.com to read his commentary. Great to talk with you, Jeff. Great to talk with you, John. Thank, Thank you, Charles. You, For Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus, University of Chicago, the professor that all of us wish we had. For Jeff Carlin, executive producer at WGN Radio, friend of cats, baker of pies, husband to Christine. And for me, John Cass, editor-in-chief of your favorite website, johncassnews.com. Join us again next time, won't you? For another edition of the Chicago Way Podcast on WGN Plus.